0: It works. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad to have you here today. Uh, Whether you're here in the room with us, whether you are watching online and drinking your cup of coffee in your uh, PJs at home, I know it's tough to get up in the morning when it's raining out. That's okay. We know you'll be back here soon. Uh, We also, our service will be streamed at the Madison County Correctional Facility later this week. So if you're watching later, uh, we're glad to have you with us this morning. Uh, this is the last week of our Heart Eyes series. We've finished, come through 1 John, and it's exciting to me that, that we've made that place. Now, next week we're going to be starting a new series that's going to be going through Proverbs. And we're going to be looking from the book of Proverbs. Everybody know where Proverbs is in your Bible? It's kind of in the middle, just after uh, Psalms. There's 31 Proverbs. And there's 31 days in July. So guess what we would like you to do. Read a proverb a day, one chapter of Proverbs, starting July 1st, which is what, a week from Saturday, a uh, week from yesterday. So let's, let's all read through that together. Now Proverbs is almost like karma. It's, it's saying that when you do this, this is likely to result. It's not a book of promises. It isn't like, if you do this, then God has to do that. What it is, is a book that says, you know, when you do this, you're very likely going to experience that. And when you do that, you're very likely to experience this. And it's really wise stuff that was inspired by God, written down and collected, actually, a collection of them, by uh, Solomon, who was known as being the wisest guy around. So that's the next series. Today we're going to finish the current series. And what I want you to see is that it's about hard eyes, and this is the life. Now, I don't usually emphasize the titles of my messages, but this one I think we need to. Because that's a pretty arrogant statement, isn't it? This is the life. In other words, John is saying that the purpose of this whole letter was to introduce people to this concept of eternal life that's connected to the person of Jesus Christ. That was his, his whole thing. And so there, there's a little bit of an almost arrogance to this because aren't there a lot of different lives? If somebody came up to you and said, tell me about your life, you probably have a story, you probably have some things that would say about who your relationships are with, your spouse, your children, parents, cousins, co-workers, you have relational connections that are part of your life, but he's saying the life. In other words, there's a life that came from God that is elevated, that is significant beyond any other life. But let's imagine a couple of lives. Here we go. How do you think they would respond if you said, tell me about your life? You know, there's a lot of angry teenagers and adolescents out there in our culture right now. There's a lot of things that can cause a child to be in that that level of distraught anger and frustration. Maybe they were brought up in a home, or not even brought up in a home. Maybe Maybe they were experiencing manipulation Maybe abuse. Maybe every wish was indulged and they never learned that there were any boundaries. And so they've been constantly running into trouble because everywhere else boundaries are expected. But their parents, if there were one or two, but whatever their environment was, there was total indulgence. And now they're experiencing all of the boundaries that they're running into. Because we all know that we indulging ourselves and putting ourselves in charge is not a really positive thing. But what about your life? Now maybe you can't resonate with this at all. Maybe you had a great home life. Maybe you had people that established boundaries for you in a loving way, which is a great thing. But I can almost guarantee you that there's a little bit of that angry rebel inside of you, even if you were brought up in that environment, because there's a little bit of that rebel in every one of us that we are born with. We are born with a desire to call our own shots. You'll find that out if, if you're out there and you're thinking that, you know, children are just born with a blank slate and they're so wonderful. Wait till you have one if you haven't yet. Because when you have them, you'll find out that one of the first things they will say to you that you will understand very clearly is, no, right? You will say, this is what you're going to do. And the child will say, no. Or they will say, I'm in charge of that. Or you're not the... You know, I use that one a lot because I think I heard that a lot at one time or another. But there's hope. Two of them were up here playing instruments today or singing. So there is hope that they can work their way through that. But every one of us have a life inside of us that has to deal with this, this inner kind of rebel that we deal with. Now, John wrote very clearly in the first part of this letter when we started this book, That the life appeared. The life appeared. Remember in his gospel, he said, the word was with God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The life appeared, we have seen it, that life, and testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life. In other words, there's no other way to attach yourself to this eternal life. And oh, by the way, the word eternal life, or the phrase eternal life here, doesn't just mean how long it lasts. Because all souls will experience eternal existence. Eternal life is the quality of life that starts the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. It's the opportunity... Because of what happens, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more, to live that kind of life. And he said, The eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. In other words, when Jesus came, he displayed eternal life, he displayed the characteristics, the values of God. And we had the opportunity to see that. And now we have the opportunity by faith to have that kind of life internalized into us. And that's what this conclusion of the book and of this series is going to be all about. So, what have we learned about eternal life so far in this study? Well, we've learned that Jesus came, that he died for us on the cross. We've learned that we have been commanded and the word love has been used more in this book than any other. And in fact, we introduced... Our vision statement, our revised vision statement, right? In a broken world, we exist to love God and love others as Christ has loved us, correct? And that's all been extracted and distilled from this writing of John. What was going on around John? Well, eternal life was continuing, but you know something? There was intense persecution of the church. And not just calling people names, calling you a Bible thumper. They were literally lighting the streets of the city of Rome with human bodies that were Christians who had oil put on them and they were lit. That's a gruesome, gruesome picture. I'm sure John knew some of them that experienced that. So... If they were experiencing eternal life, it wasn't necessarily that everything was hunky-dory. That living the the eternal life out, it it means more than just experiencing pleasure and freedom from some sort of hardships. So, where's he going to go with this? In 1 John 5.10, we'll jump down a little bit from the beginning of this. We'll come back a little bit to the beginning of 1 John. It says, Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony, the testimony of God of who his son is that was demonstrated by the miracles that he did and most of all demonstrated by his resurrection on the third day after he was put to death on a Roman cross. So whoever does not believe God's testimony, in other words, if you look at Jesus, this eternal life that was brought to us and shown to us, and you say, I'm not buying it, okay? Whoever does not believe God has made him out Uh, believe God has made him out to be a liar in other words God sorry if you're there no big deal this I'm just not buying it and so you're saying that whatever has been communicated as God's truth is not true so you're calling God a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son and it's abundant There's no better explanation for the resurrection than that God worked a miracle and raised his son from the dead. How else would you explain it? The Romans couldn't produce his body. He was being guarded. His disciples, they had given up. And when he rose and he appeared to those disciples, they became ones who almost all, and by the time John is writing this, all the other disciples were gone. All of the other ones had, had been martyred in one way or another. So that testimony of God that he has done once in this amazing way is the hinge point of history. And that testimony of God, that, that statement of God to us as human beings, for every one of us in this room and every one of us on the planet, is that I have sent my son Eternal life is available, and you have a choice to make of what kind of life you want to experience. So, it's very clear that the source of eternal life is God's eternal Son. He lives forever. He was here. He said, before Abraham was, I am. He was co-creator. He was with God in the very beginning, it says in 1 John, or in John chapter 1. So Jesus is God's eternal son. There is no other faith on the planet that says that divinity has entered human life in human flesh. No other, no other faith teaches that. And so the eternal life that's offered to every, uh, every one of us is in his eternal son. It goes on. In 1 John 5, 1, it says everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And the word the, the Christ here draws all of that Old Testament prophetic expectation about who the Messiah would be. The conquering king. The one who would be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The one who would be virgin born. The one, the one who would eventually conquer the whole world, which hasn't happened yet, but that was part of the promise. And the belief Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. So it's a choice. Again, it's what kind of life I want to have is tethered to this decision that I have to make. And it is a gift, and it's received by faith. How do you get eternal life? Well, I'll tell you this much you cannot earn it. Let's just think logically for a second. How long are you going to live? I'm, I just, you know, entered the septuagenarian club a year and a month or so ago. And so now, when the Scripture says, life is three score and ten, I'm in overtime, okay? So the question is, how is it received by faith? Well, if I was perfect for 71 years, And I stood before God and said, "Let me into heaven." He didn't have to say. Just based on the math, well, I'll give you 70 years, if you're perfect. But that's all you've earned. Anything beyond that's going to be a gift, grace. So 70 earned, and eternity given. What's the word? how How does infinite over something like that over infinite means that that is zero. It's all grace. I cannot earn it. It's a gift. Just based on logic. And it's stated throughout the Scripture that way as well. So here's a way that Paul stated that same thing to us. He said, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Think about the tenses. I know you hate English. School year's over. All those juniors out there are saying to themselves, I don't want to hear another thing about verb tenses, right? And you just want to get it over with and done. But it, look at the verb tense. It says, it's by grace you have been saved. What does that mean? It's done. It's been done for 2,000 years in God's sight because God, God's not bound to time. My salvation, your salvation, anybody who is going to be brought into eternal life has been saved through faith. In other words, faith, it's kind of like how do you get a drink of water when you go to the restaurant? You draw your water through the straw, right? Faith is the straw by which you draw eternal life this is not from yourselves in case you didn't catch the first part it is the gift of god not by works so that no one can boast instead of boasting we praise because we didn't do it jesus did it and that's eternal life see because every other kind of life that i'm trying to build is temporary not by, could he state it any clearer than this? I don't think so. So, there's a logic question here. When can you lose an eternal gift? That, sorry, that cross that D off there. When can you lose, lose an eternal gift that has been given and you have received? You can't. No, if you didn't do it, you can't undo it. And we're going to see some more verses that are going to support what I've just said from the last part of this letter. In 1 John, we're going back to the first two verses now. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. So he, it's, this is not double talk. It's not trying to confuse us. I, I know there's some... Simple things, and interestingly, Paul writes, or excuse me, John writes the simplest Greek of any of the writers of the New Testament. Nothing that John says is typically complicated. It's usually simple. It's profound, but it's simple. had one of my seminary professors used to tell us, you know something, when you're going through the Scripture, the main things are the plain things. And the plain things are the main things. And John is saying here, essentially, you want to know whether or not you've caught this thing? Whether or not you have eternal life? Just some evidence for you to check up on is to say, are you loving the children of God by loving God and carrying out His commands? Are you doing that? It's not what gets us there, but it it might be something that tells us, well, This is what I should be doing, and that is what eternal life looks like. See, the point is that if we're really living out the eternal life that we've been given, then we're going to be loving God, and we're going to be loving others, just as we've stated in our vision statement. It will happen because that's the life that's been implanted in you. So, he goes on a little bit later. He says, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin, And actually, the translators tried to soften this a little bit. Because it really says, um, in in a more strictly grammatical way in the Greek, it really says, we know that anyone born of God does not sin. It's more general. So the implication would be, does that mean sinless perfection? That if you're really a believer, you're never going to sin again? You're never going to cease to love. You're never going to miss the opportunities for that. You're never going to have anything that you regret that all of a sudden, poof, you're perfect. That's called perfectionism, and it is the belief of many who claim to be followers of Jesus. They does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. Well, that's good news. The evil one can't remove our salvation. But does that mean that we do that? Because it's basically saying that your eternal life that's resident in you, if you've received that, is going to show itself in love and obedience. And I believe that's true. It will show up. Now, How, how does that fit with the logic? Does this mean that you love perfectly and no longer sin? Well, How would you interpret that? You need to go to the same writer and ask, what does this letter that Paul wrote include in addition? You always try to interpret these difficult things in their context and figure out, well, it looks like it might say we're supposed to be perfect, but there's a lot of other places, and now we can go back to chapter 1 and see what he wrote. In chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, he says, if we claim to be without sin— We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we claim we have not sinned, in other words, this is sin nature, this is the actual sins. If we claim either one of those, that our sin nature is eradicated or that we no longer commit sins, in either case, we make him out to be a liar and the truth is not in us. So we know that that verse 18 in chapter 5 does not mean that you reach sinless perfection. So what does it mean? What it means is that we have a new life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. The old has gone because by comparison, the new is eternal, and the new is empowered by God. You have indwelling a, a follower of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, who is not under that sin nature. Now, what happens to us? Then why do we sin if we we are this new creation? It is not the new creation that is sinning. It is the old nature that we have chosen to follow. Because let's face it. Look at these two angry ones again, okay? Let's just presume that these two angry ones are adopted. Maybe, maybe they were abandoned at four or five years old and, and all of those other awful things had been happening to them. And a follower of Jesus' couple adopt them and they bring them into their home and they have a different environment. Guaranteed that if they've gotten to the ages of five or six in a very abusive, uh, neglectful, manipulative Uh, indulgent, however you want to call it. If they've been brought up in that environment, they have learned coping strategies. They have learned survival skills that they're counting on. They're not trusting others to be trustworthy. They're trusting self. And when they come into that Christian home, do you think they're automatically going to go like, flip a switch? No. What's going to happen? They're going to have to develop over time. Can I really believe that these people love me unconditionally? Is that possible for me to experience that? And there's going to be a lot of challenges. That's one of the things that I think is so great about people who are willing to adopt children at all, and then willing to adopt children from an environment where they've already experienced some pretty difficult traumatic experiences. Because this is going to be challenging. And it might not always end pretty. But let's just assume that they come to faith. Now, all of those challenges are not going away, but there's a new part of them, and they come to faith. But all of those coping strategies, all those survival skills that they had developed over time, they're not just going to go away. And they don't go away in you. So you will experience, sometimes you're going to act out of that old nature and you're going to do things that you say, why did I do that? What was I thinking? But that doesn't mean you lose eternal life. Eternal life is there or you wouldn't even care about it. So remember, it's not going to be automatic. And it's not going to be that complete. So, where do we go from there? These are my three favorite verses in scripture in terms of my understanding of God's love for me. These three verses were sent to me by my wife when we were dating and I was at the Naval Academy and she was writing to help me clarify what I was thinking in terms of faith. And when she sent these three verses to me, it just, it was like God opened up a picture. It says, and this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. Again, it's a gift. And this life is in his Son. Its source is Jesus. Whoever has the Son has life. It's a present possession. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's pretty clear. Do I have the Son of God? And then this next verse sealed the deal for me. Oh, come on. Come on. Okay, the final verse. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Read this part out loud with me, would you please? So that you may know that you have eternal life. Would you want your child not to know who their parents were? God doesn't either. God has adopted us into his family if we have trusted him by faith. And when we do that, it is a permanent transaction. He's not going to run out on us. We may fail him. Every every parent experiences the failure of their relationship with their children. Every parent, at some point, to some degree. But do you then cast them out, hand them their suitcase and say, you're done, you came home late for, for curfew. No, you work with them. You explain that to them. And the relationship is permanent. And when I read that, that was news to me. I had always felt like I was running from God and running from my own inability to be perfect, to love perfectly, running from my ability to keep myself from this idea of sin that dwelled in me, the old nature, I I just wanted to hope that I could die at a time when I hadn't done anything too bad and that, that I had a clean enough slate that I could get into heaven, but it was never certain whatsoever. And I thought anybody who said that they were certain was arrogant. I thought that they were saying, you know, look at me, I'm so good, I know I'm going to heaven. And it was exactly the opposite when I talked with my now spouse of 49 years together about this and And she explained, no, it's not because I'm so good. It's because of what Jesus did. It doesn't depend on how great I am. It's about how faithful he is and what he's done for us. That was revolutionary for me. You see, because the truth now is that eternal life is irrevocable. You'll never lose it. You're always going to be a child of God if you draw from the faith straw and believe that jesus is the christ the messiah who went to calvary's cross as the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world and you put your faith entirely in what he did for you and not trust himself and your own works so what keeps us from experiencing the life Because when you ask people often, you know, hey, how's it going this morning? And it happens out here in the lobby, happens here in the chairs when I'll greet some people and they'll say, live in the dream. And a lot of times it's very sarcastic. A lot of times there's something going on that's really hard, that's difficult. Because experiencing the life, the eternal life, doesn't mean that we're experiencing everything roses and plums. So how can we experience it? What gets in the way of that? One of the things that gets in the way is represented in this verse and we've gone through this previously, but it's from 1 John. It says, "For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. That's what robs us. That's what we that's the hurdle we have to overcome because it comes from it comes not from the father but from The world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And so we are constantly, day in and day out, faced with choices. We have to decide which way, which of these lives are we going to live? Are we going to live the life of the old, tyrannized experience? Or are we going to live the eternal life that's been purchased for us and given to us? Because these things come from, now, the world. I realize that that sounds like a real hostile attitude toward everybody who doesn't come to Crossroads. And that's not what it's saying, okay? The world means, in essence, it's the axioms. It's the general flow of how humanity is going. And since Genesis chapter 3, when the first two humans told God, we would rather do our thing than your thing, and we're put out of the garden, and we've got put into the cultural malaise and mess that we're in now. See, I, I have to deal with this sinner that's inside me, and you have to deal with the one that's inside you. But also, my sinfulness affects you, and yours affects me and the neighbors around you. And there's this cacophony of noise and sin that's built up over the ages. That's the world. That is the system that says no to God. And builds other axioms to look for eternal life. Because there's a hole in us that wants this quality of eternal life. But we're not necessarily going to find it outside of Jesus. And the ways that we look for it are all represented right there. Let's call them the isms. One is materialism. That there's some thing. That there's some amount of money. That there's something physical that's going to solve my eternal life hole in me. Or the next one would be something that we call hedonism, which is basically, I just need sensual pleasure. That's going to solve. That's going to fill the hole in my life. Or I just need some Machiavellianism. I need to be the power broker. I need to have control over others. That's going to really validate who I am. And that's right here. It's right there. It's been there since John wrote this 2,000 years ago. We still have the same alternative options that we can consider. But it's short-term thinking. See, everything that's material around us is going to be rust and dust, except for the souls of those that are sitting next to you. As glorious as this room is, it's going to be rust and dust. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever and even in the moment can live with great joy, satisfaction, and fulfillment because of the eternal perspective that his life gives us. So we need to overcome nearsighted vision because we're just thinking about the moment and the moment more and more in the culture that we live in these days. Got a feeling like my wire's about to attack me here. That's okay, I'll fix it later. Nearsighted vision. What are you thinking about the most? Do you take the time to occasionally pause and say, God, give me perspective. Guide me for the long term. What am I doing to grab a hold of eternal life and to make eternal life real in my life? And then finally, he closes with this short verse, dear children, and this is his final thought. Keep yourselves from idols. Anybody remember what the first of the Ten Commandments was? Don't make any images. Don't make idols. And what are idols? I know you don't have some sort of a thing. I've seen them over in Africa. I've been in... A, I've been in Villages where they have a, a literal physical made idol sitting there and the, the uh, fetish priests of those little idols do all sorts of horrible things and manipulate people in terrible ways. But the idols that we have are anything that would get between us and God. Whatever that might be. And I think we need to look at our calendar. I think we need to look at our relationships. I think we need to look at the direction of our lives and how we pursue things and evaluate and say, is this an idol? Is this something that's pushing God away? And maybe it's kept me from coming to Him at all. But what I want to say this morning is that there's two, there's two things, basically, we need to eliminate as idols. One is self. And the other is others' opinion of yourself. And if we get rid of those and we simply say to God, I belong to you. You purchased me when Jesus died for me on the cross. I want to be what you created me to be. I want to have the influence that you want me to have. And I want to represent you. I want to bear your image into the world and the culture in which I live. And show Eternal life. Not perfectly. We'll never do that. And so the two applications I've got this morning would first of all be for those of you who have been following Jesus maybe for years, in some cases decades, and you've made the decision to receive eternal life But you've really thought of it as that pie-in-the-sky eternal life that starts after the grave, and you're just trying to compromise in between and say, well, God, I'll do some things for you, but I'm also going to do some things for this old nature of mine that really likes that other stuff. And you kind of live in, in this bifurcated kind of loyalty. Give up on the old one and embrace eternal life. Embrace the fact that you've been born into a new creation and just make it your mission to live that out internally and in all of your relationships with other people say you know how how can i love the way that jesus has loved me but some of you may be here this morning and you've never made that decision and i know we've been asking you to consider this throughout the series asking people sometimes to raise their hand and i would simply ask you as you're seated here right now to just ask yourself have i do i have jesus because if you have the son you have life but if i don't have jesus i don't have eternal life and so i would need to ask god lord show me and tell god that you're trusting in him Just make a trust transfer from self to what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Communicate that to God in your own way, in your own time, in your own place. You can do that right now if you want. And I'll pray such that you might do that. A prayer that if you prayed that and you meant it from your heart, you would then possess eternal life that can never be revoked. So let's stand and pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you want us to know that we are your children, that you want us to know that we have eternal life and that by having Jesus in our life, by trusting in what he's done for us on Calvary's cross, we become possessors of eternal life. Thank you for that gift. And I pray that those of us who have known Jesus and trusted in him in the past would all win the battle day by day of adopting that life and continuing to walk with jesus rather than walking in our own strength and trusting in ourselves. and god i pray that that would happen for some today if anyone has come through these doors and has never made a positive decision to put their faith in jesus that they would Convey to God something like this that God, I am a sinner. I realize that I do things that are not loving. I do things that are deceptive. I do things that are not according to your perfection and holiness. And I know that those things are an offense to your holiness and your justice. But I know now that Jesus poured out his life on the cross so that your justice could be satisfied and so that my sins could be forgiven. And so that I could possess eternal life starting now as a new quality of life. May your spirit come into me. May I align myself with your goals and your purposes and your ways. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.